0: Well, students, um, you're about to be welcomed into the uh, baptism of the alarm clock tomorrow, so I'm sure you're pumped about that. Equally excited that you're here with us adults today. We're glad that you are, but I couldn't be more grateful that you're here to listen to someone like Petula's life story and to think how God's raising up a generation. Um, why not you? Why not now? Huh? Why couldn't that be part of the story that you, God might be writing in you as the spirit taps and moves and... I was reminded that as I was growing up, I started thinking about like the first career aspiration I ever had. Uh, First one I can recall was I was probably uh, maybe middle school, and I really wanted to be a meteorologist. I wanted to be Mike Lozano, Channel 13 weatherman. I mean, I wanted to be like Mike before Michael Jordan was ever a phrase out there. Just be like Mike. I was the kid who got excited when the weather channel was added to the basic cable package. My mom would come on Saturday mornings, and much to my brother's dismay, would find me sitting in front of the weather channel and looking at Central Asia and saying, there's a cold front moving across Central Asia. This is amazing. And my brother wanted to watch cartoons or something. That was me. I was kind of a meteorological geek. So I mustered up the courage to write Mike Lozano a letter. I wrote him a letter, and I said, Mike, I want to be so like you. I want to grow up and do what you do. I want to walk in your steps. Mike, I want to do, help me. If you're me, what do I do between now and then? It was my middle school age. I mailed it off. And like two weeks later, I got a letter back. Are you kidding me? This, I know students, this is kind of a strange thing. But back in the day, we actually used to write on pieces of paper and stick them in mail and put a stamp. And somebody would write you back. You actually got an envelope back. I got an envelope and the return address said, Mike Lozano, Channel 13. I remember holding it. <gasps> I said, Mom, i got to go to my room. I'm going to read this all by myself. So I walked off to my room. I closed the door, and I had my, my moment with this envelope. And I remember opening that envelope, and I remember every word, dear Eric. Oh, he knows my name. Mike Lozano knows my name. And the opening sentence was right after he said, thanks for your note, He started very quickly into saying, Eric, of the many things you could do with your life, let me say one thing very clearly. Do not do what I am doing with your life. (laughs) The pay is terrible, family life's terrible, schooling is terrible. Whatever you do, you do not want to be a weatherman. Sincerely, Mike Lozano. I was crushed. I mean, I was like, oh, I kept that letter for years. And I think my parents are like secretly really pleased with this whole scene. I was crushed. And you know, I think some people experience following Jesus a little bit like Mike Lozano was experiencing meteorology. You had these expectations about what it would be like, and then you got a letter from your everyday life that was quite different than what you were actually experiencing. I put a quote at the top of your notes by Thomas Merton. He said it this way, Thomas Merton was a monk who lived down in Kentucky for 40 or 50 years, wrote a lot of books. He said, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat, ask me what I'm living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully for that. So as we turn the calendar from 2015 into 2016, I put in your notes a few questions I've just been asking myself, wrote them down. Maybe you can reflect a bit with me on these. Is the life I'm currently living the life Jesus envisioned for me to live? Am I embracing the present moments of my life with authenticity and love? Do I have the sense that my inmost being is fully alive? Is there a growing hunger for God and what's on his heart? Is there some kind of groaning for some stuff to change in me? Ruth Haley Barton wrote it this way. She said, when was the last time you felt it? your own longing, that is, your longing for love, your longing for God, your longing to live your life as it was meant to be lived in God. When was the last time you felt a longing for healing and fundamental change growing within you? Don't rush past this question. It may be the most important question you ever ask. And there's something about flipping into a new calendar year that causes us to kind of get in this posture, and perhaps you've been hearing a call from the margins of your life, a deeper longing for more. And so one of my prayers as we enter into this series that I've entitled Shalom is that we wouldn't rush rush past these deeper, more important questions in life. The Bible word for the way things are supposed to be is shalom. It is where we get our English word peace. If you go to Israel today and you actually greet in a very conservative neighborhood of Israel, you will greet not, hello, how are you? You will greet shalom. And it means wholeness. It means completeness. It means the way things are supposed to be. The life you and I have always wanted. When you first met Jesus and you tasted of his grace and you first began to walk with the Spirit of God. And He began to guide and direct your steps. You had a vision about what this life in Christ and with Christ and for Christ and through Christ would be like. And then maybe you've been getting some letters from your everyday life. And there is a gap. And what do we do with that gap? That's what we're going to be wrestling with in this Shalom-like series. And if I had to pick an anchor text for Shalom-like living, I'd pick Psalm 23. And so that's where we're going to be this week and next week, just kind of walking through Psalm 23 and making some observations about shalom-like living, the way things are supposed to be. Or if you're on the outside looking in, maybe this new year finds you, you know, you want to come back to your spiritual roots or you want to begin a spiritual journey, This picture this as an open invitation to the kind of life available to anyone. David says, here's the kind of life that is available called shalom-like life. And it's open to anyone. Psalm 23 starts with an amazing statement. David being a shepherd himself, he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. So, we don't have a lot of imagery in North American suburban life for shepherds and sheep and all that, but here's a picture of like if you were to go to Palestine today and you would see the kind of life that David would have been living would have looked something like this. He would have been a a shepherd walking the paths and, and leading his flock of sheep, and the role of the shepherd was to care and provide a good life for his herd. As a sheep, your life Good or bad was dependent on the quality of your shepherd. If you had a negligent shepherd, if you had a shepherd who didn't give a rip about where you were going or how you were going to get there, your life would be much rougher than if you had a good shepherd. And here's David in Psalm 23, a shepherd himself pulling this metaphor, a frequent metaphor all through Scripture for our view of God, saying, hey, you want to get a picture of what God's like? It says, the Lord, Adonai, Jehovah, Yahweh, the great I am, the one who was and is and is to come, that God can be your shepherd. When you see in your Bibles, Lord, like it's capitalized, L-O-R-D like that, it's the word that the Jews would use that was so, such a form of reverence in their dialect that they wouldn't even pronounce it, they just wrote it uniquely so they knew that's what they meant. Oh, Adonai, oh, Yahweh, oh, Jehovah, the I am. He can be your shepherd. And Jesus applies this in John 10, 11. He says, I am the what? Good shepherd. So from that, I just kind of, I think the first element to just reflect on for a few minutes is shalom-like life is where Jehovah Jesus is your shepherd. That the Jesus who is the bread of life, who's the stream of living water, who's the light of life, the Jesus who's the Alpha and the Omega, the Son of God and the Son of Man, and Jehovah who is Adonai and and Yahweh and the great I Am, that God in Christ can be your shepherd and mine. And David's conclusion is when you grasp that you are in the care and in the flock of that good shepherd, you don't have to strain and strive you don't have to be in want. You don't have to wonder how this is going to get worked out because your good shepherd is very, very skilled at guiding and caring and providing for you and for me. The Lord Jehovah Jesus is my shepherd. Notice David makes it personal, my It's one thing to know about Jehovah Jesus as the shepherd or a shepherd. Shalom-like life begins when it gets personal, gang. At some point, the Christian faith has got to get personal, where you go to knowing about this shepherd to this shepherd becoming your shepherd. The Lord is my, Jehovah Jesus is my shepherd. Could you say that at the beginning of 2016? If not, that's where you start for shalom-like life. If you want life as the way it's supposed to be, if you want wholeness and completeness the way God intended, you start with this, Jehovah, Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And then he moves on, and what does he say next? He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, sheep don't lie down unless what? Unless they're well-fed, well-cared for, well-protected. They're going to lie down like some of our high-maintenance pets. You know what I mean? They're like, hey, you know, unless you're a dog or you're, unless you get all the things right, they're not going to settle down. That's the way sheep were. And he leads me beside quiet waters. And he restores my soul. And he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So when you grasp that Jehovah Jesus is your shepherd, it moves into the second element of shalom-like life. When you get a vision for the kind of shepherd you have, then you move to the conclusion, I will trust his leadership. I will trust his leading. I will trust his guiding. In 2005, in the country of Turkey, Petula's visited there often for vacationing, there is a community called Guevas, Turkey, or Givas It's pronounced sometimes, Turkey. It's a village area. A lot of shepherds and sheep. A lot of the kind of the the normal daily routine would have been lots of shepherds out in the field taking care of their flocks. And one particular morning, a group of shepherds leading their flock decided they wanted to take a breakfast break wanted to have a little more extended break than normal. Their coffee time turned into a little bit longer, and they kind of took their eyes off their flock, and they were just having a good old time as shepherds, kind of ignoring their sheep. The villagers noticed one particular sheep. The herd was about 1,500 total. So one particular sheep kind of wandered too close to the edge of this cliff and went over the cliff. And the villagers thought, well, that's bad, and the shepherds didn't even notice. And then the sheep that was nearest that that one that went over They went over the cliff. And then the next sheep went over the cliff. 1,499 more sheep went over the cliff. All of them. True story. You can look it up in USA Today. 2005. Now, only the first 400 or so died. Do you know why? Because there became a downy soft pillow of sheep like wool coating the bottom of the cliff. And the next thousand kind of bounced off the 400 of their used-to-be herd mates now dead at the bottom of the cliff. Because sheep are directionally dependent beings. It's an amazing analogy the Bible uses for us. We struggle because in North America we don't have a lot of contact with sheep-like life. But one of the things you do if you work with sheep, they say that they only go where the shepherd is going to guide and lead them to go. They really are dependent. They can't just kind of wander off and figure it out on their own. They're not going to get to the stream of water on their own. They're not going to get to the green pasture on their own. They're going to go off a cliff. And 1499 are going to follow them off that cliff. I thought, at some point, do you think one of them would think, that's not a good sound? Maybe we shouldn't keep going over that cliff. But here's the picture David paints in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You can have the kind of shepherd in this life who never goes on a breakfast break. He never takes his eyes off you. He'll lead you into green pastures. He'll take you to quiet waters. He'll guide you in paths of righteousness. He's not going to just kind of neglectfully turn a blind eye towards those places of even danger in our lives. He is a very skilled shepherd. And you can trust his leadership. there's two ways to live in this life you can kind of decide you're going to go about life and figure it out on your own or you can let others help you figure it out and how refreshing is it when you grasp a vision for the life of psalm 23 that says hey do you want to have a guide for your life a really good guide for your life how about this guide? how about jehovah jesus being your guide How about he being the one to lead you to the pastures he wants you to go? How about he being the one to take you to the quiet waters? How about him guiding you in the paths of righteousness? How about Jehovah Jesus, Adonai, the great I am, the light of the world, the bread of life, the Alpha and the Omega? He can be your shepherd and you can trust his leadership. I can't think of any better life than that. He's way better at guiding lives than I'll ever be or that will ever be. And parents, we, this, right, with our kids this way, as, much, as important as it is for parents to provide guidance in our children's life, parents, do you know ultimately our role as a parent is to help them look to the good shepherd to guide their lives and direct their steps and lead them long after they leave your care. That's the mark of a great parent. Not that they're always looking to you. As they're younger, of course they look to you. But what do they see when they look to you? Do they see a mom or a dad who's looking to the good shepherd, Jehovah Jesus, to guide our household and direct our decisions and manage our priorities? What are we trusting in? You can trust his leadership. What do your kids see when you hit tough stretches in life? When you hit one of those sheep goes over the cliff moments and go, what do we do with that? What do they see? Do they see you? coming back and saying, God, will we trust you? Which moves into the next phase of the psalm. Notice the whole context of Psalm 23. You don't get any picture of Psalm 23 written just in just comfort seasons of life. You get it written in the next uh, verse in the psalm, right? Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, often repeated funeral gatherings or in hospital visits, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So from a sheep existence through the calendar year, in the springtime, the grasses in the lower elevation would grow up quite well. And then the herds would consume all those grasses in the lower level. And then as the heat of the summer started to rise, it started to burn the grass off in the lower level. So the shepherd knew in the early part of the summer, we got to go to higher ground. But the only way to get to higher ground is you got to go through some valleys. Do you think the sheep were overly excited about the valleys? No, because the valleys were narrow paths, rocky, steep. Predators liked to hang out in the darkness of the valley and kind of pick off a stray sheep every now and then. They didn't like the valleys, but the only way from the lower ground to the higher ground was through. Notice the text, through the valley. And think about this invitation of life with Jesus here. I think it was A.W. Tozer years ago in his Pursuit of God book wrote something about um, to take us from the lower misty lowlands where we wander around and to take us up to higher ground. And some of you have walked through a year in 2015 and you could have just entitled it the year of the valley. You feel like it was just one giant valley. You're still waiting for the light at the end of the valley. But here's what I want you to hold on to. If Jehovah Jesus is your shepherd. What did he say he will bring in the valley? A rod and a staff. In your notes I put, what's a rod? Sibah, Hebrew word, stick, part of a tree used to protect the herd. He used the rod to ward off the predators who would try to pluck off the sheep. And then he would use the staff, machina, something to lean on, support, guide, say hey, you're getting a little too close to the cliff so the the staff would kind of help guide them and keep them through and they are gonna go through the valley. See the imagery you get here? No picture of this life and journeying with the good shepherd where you get to go around the valley, where we're exempt from the suffering. The only way to the higher grounds in this life that God is calling us to is, with fear and trepidations at times, we look into the valleys of life. The Lord, I don't know if I can take any much. I don't know if I can keep going. And the picture David paints is, you, you can keep going with this. Your good shepherd, Jehovah Jesus, he goes before you. With his rod and his staff, he is protecting, he is providing, he is caring, and he is guiding. So let's go. And notice he's taking you right through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to be dark. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be steep. It's going to be rocky. We are not exempt from the sufferings. What gets us through it? What's what's Psalm 24 say? You don't have to fear any evil. Why? You are with me. It's companionship in the sufferings, not exemption from the sufferings, where we find this, right? David says, hey, I'm going to go through. I have a really good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I will trust his leadership. Even when it's dark and it's difficult, I'm not alone. Your perfect love, God, is going to cast out all fear. I don't have to fear in the midst of the valley. I can certainly question. I can call out for help. But i got to trust what? His rod and his staff. He is going to guide you through the valley, and gang. The only way to the higher ground is through it. You can't go from the lower ground to the next phase in our walk with Christ. We can't go unless we go through valleys. The green pastures are in the higher ground. Burn grass in the lower elevations as the heat picks up. You got to go to higher ground. And maybe twenty sixteen. Maybe that's an image for some of us here. God calling us this year. Higher ground through the valleys, trusting his leadership, Jehovah Jesus as our shepherd. And then verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here's the imagery that David's drawing on here. So David would gather at parties that would normally have a a large table where they would have the food and the drink served, and at the center of the table would be kind of the wine container. Think of a pitcher of wine, a larger container of wine. And the way the host would communicate to the guests how well the host thought the party was going was the quantity of wine in the center of of the main pitcher. So if the wine was to the top, in other words, the host kept refilling it to the top, Actually, if the wine was overflowing from the top, the host was feeling abundantly good. This party was going exceptionally well. Stay as long as you like. When it was kept to the top, the host was feeling, this party's going well. You can stay. When the, when the wine got about halfway down and wasn't being replenished, it was the host's way of telling everybody, hey, wrap it up. Get moving. Some of you right now are thinking about next year's holiday celebration. I can see it in your faces. Your extended family gatherings, and when you all get together, a big old something right in the center of the table, get that thing half full, let everybody know it, time to roll. So here's David drawing on this imagery. What does he say? Jehovah, Jesus is my shepherd. I don't have to be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I'm going to go through some valleys, and it's going to be dark, and it's going to be difficult, but his rod and his staff are going to protect me. They're going to provide for me. They're going to comfort me because he is with me. And I don't have to fear any evil. And my cup is going to what? What did David say? The cup's going to overflow. So hold that imagery with what's a dominant metaphor in Scripture for oil. Holy Spirit is frequently used for oil. I put in your notes, 2 Corinthians 1, He has anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So here you get this picture of Jehovah Jesus being your good shepherd and anointing your life with oil. What is that picture of? That you don't have to muster up, muster up the energy to live this Christian life on your own. Do you realize it's a life that's imparted to you and given to you? That the shalom life is a spirit-filled life. There's life that comes from beyond you, that comes to live within you, that actually brings you to life. David says, my cup is going to overflow. You have the kind of shepherd who's going to put his hands on your face and going to cause your life to overflow with what? His life by his spirit. He will be your shepherd. You can trust his leadership. He'll take you through the valleys with his rod and his staff. He promises to be with you, and he says your cup is going to overflow. He's lavish with his grace. He's lavish with his goodness. He's lavish with his love. He pours it out in abundance. This is the shalom life. And it is available to anybody. And then David says what in verse 6? He winds it all up. One of the most frequently quoted passages in the Bible. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Underline in your Bibles the word surely there. Not possibly. Not maybe. But Surely. Surely what? Surely goodness and love. Surely his love is not gonna run out. Surely his love is gonna be sufficient. Surely his grace is gonna be abundant. Surely his mercies will be new every morning. Surely his faithfulness will be there. Surely his strength will get you through whatever it is you're going. Surely, not maybe, not hopefully, not possibly, surely, that's an anchor for the soul right there. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I put this little bit lengthier quote in your notes from Max Lucado. Follow it up here on the screen with me. Some of you have shouldered burdens that few of us could ever carry. You've bid farewell to lifelong partners. For some of you, that's been a commentary in 2015. You've been robbed of lifelong dreams. You've been given bodies that can't sustain your spirit. You have spouses who can't tolerate your faith. You have bills that outnumber the paychecks and challenges that outweigh the strength. And you are tired. It's hard for you to see the city in the midst of the storms. The desire to pull over to the side of the road and get out entices you. You want to go on, but some days the road seems so long. Remember this. Hear this now. God never said that the journey would be easy, but he did say that the arrival would be worthwhile. He may not do what you want, but he will do what is right and best. He's the father of forward motion. Trust him. He will get you home, and the trials of the trip will be lost in the joys of the feast. Several years ago, we took a family vacation with some good friends the Hubbards. We went down to Lake Cumberland. This is when the girls were quite a bit younger, so probably seven or eight years ago. So Lily was in elementary school, Kalen's like preschool age. And so it became one of those nights where we were cooking out, we were grilling out, and of course we did, well maybe it's only us, of course we only got like hot dogs for the kids, and we got steaks for the adults. And so we cooked out all the hot dogs for the kids, got all the kids fed, and they were all good, and then we got the steaks going for the adults, and the four of us adults were sitting around eating our steak, and Lily and August, two oldest kind of come up to the table, and they look at what we're eating, and they remember Lily saying to me, Dad, that doesn't look like hot dog. (laughs) Now, you understand, I believe at this point in her life, she's never tasted steak in her life. So, I had this thought occurring in my mind. It, It was a wonderful, blissful experience that her concept of grilling out meat was just hot dogs for how many years, right? But I said, well, I said, honey, would you like to try some? I knew, you know, I'm crossing the threshold here, right? So I let her take a piece of the steak, and she began to chew it. And there was like a a countenance that began to form around her face as she chewed, as she tasted. She's like, Dad, this is way better than hot dogs. (laughs) You're right, honey. And then Gary and Angie and Kendra and I just had to shoo away the natives for the rest. I mean, they were like... Right, They were just attacking this day. They want nothing to do with hot dogs anymore. All they wanted what from that point forward was steak. The whole caliber of their, like a new level of taste bud category hit their elementary age experience. And I believe the same is true in our spiritual lives when you taste Psalm 23 living. If you've never tasted Jehovah Jesus as your shepherd, where you can trust his leadership to guide and direct your steps, where you can hold to his rod and his staff through the valleys of the shadow of death, where you can experience your cup overflowing by the power of his spirit, where you know there's an anchor in the soul that says, surely goodness and love are going to follow me all the days of my life. I can have confident assurance in my current realities, even if they're a mess and I'm secure in my eternal destiny because I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you've never tasted of that life, it's like, Settling for hot dog living in a steak infested invitation, because once you taste of the steak like qualities of Psalm twenty three life, gang, I don't think you'll ever turn back. And so, the, naturally, the question is big, Well, how do you do? It? How do you enter into this life? You decide to. You decide to. Do you know the people who are living Psalm twenty three? Are people who have decided to. Not like, I decided to back in 1987 at a youth camp at the altar. Yeah, that's a good step. You decide to every day. Like, when you get up tomorrow morning, you decide you're going to live under the shepherding care of a really, really good shepherd. And you're going to trust his leadership. And you're going to lean on his rod and his staff. You're gonna let him fill you with his spirit. You're gonna anchor yourself in his confident assurance of current realities, how they're gonna work their way out and his plan and his purpose, and you're gonna rest in your eternal destiny in him. You decide to. Sometimes you have to decide every hour. Sometimes I have to decide every hour of every day. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I'm gonna live today. I'm gonna live this moment with you as my shepherd. Jesus, I'm about to head into this really difficult conversation With this person, I don't know how it's going to go. Right now, I'm going to decide to live Psalm 23, shalom-like, the way things are supposed to be life. I'm going to decide. You are my shepherd. I will trust you. Let's do this together. You decide to. So the invitation at the beginning of 2016 is simply this. Do you want this life? David says in Psalm 23, here's the life available to you. Shalom is available. He can drop those dues of quietness till all our strivings cease. He can take from our souls the strain and stress of what? Trying to figure out how to make this life work in our own wisdom and strength and we can lay all that down and we can say, you know what? Jehovah Jesus is going to be my shepherd and I'm going to trust his leadership and I'm going to walk with him and I'm going to allow his spirit to be my life and my guide and my energy. You decide to. And I think when you taste of it, I don't think you're going to go back to the old ways very readily because it is a life unlike any other life, and he's lavish in the invitation. It's open to anyone, Sarajevo, Bosnia, Zionsville, Indiana, and everywhere in between. Here is this life. Do you want it? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this wonderful image of you being our good shepherd. So many of us here have specific examples when you have gently and faithfully, sometimes sternly, cared and provided and guided and come through. We can't imagine being in anyone else's flock but yours. And then there are others here who, simply put, it's been a really tough stretch. And some things have gone about 180 degrees from the way they expected them to go And maybe there's an honest wrestling match around whether there's a good shepherd. And thank you for this picture that David gives us and says, Hey, here's your invitation, open and available. And you can just decide right now. 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you just decide right now. I want to live Psalm 23, shalom like life. I want to live under your good care. I want to walk with you and do this life with you. Would you teach us how to do that? We come with open hearts and open hands and say simply, Jesus, teach us how to live. Teach us how to live this way. I pray for a wave of shalom that we could harvest out in 2016. And if it hasn't gotten personal for you, no better time than right now. Maybe for you, it's a coming back. Or maybe it's a coming the first time. And you can just say, Jesus has been away far too long, long enough. I'm coming back to you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Be my good shepherd. I want to live in your flock. Just simply call out right where you're at.